0: Great. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, if you're new today and you'd like to stay in touch with us, then um, the back of the notice sheet has a little form you can fill in with your name and address. And can, there's a at the back corner downstairs, there's uh, a place called the Welcome Desk. We hope you're welcome anywhere in the building, not just at that small area. But... Uh, that's what we call it, and uh, you can hand that in there and we'll be in touch with you if you'd like us to be. We're uh, looking uh, over the summer into the life story of Abraham. It's a biography uh, of one of God's great heroes of faith. He's uh, at the heart of several world religions. He was an amazing man, and we have the story all about him in the book uh, book of Genesis in the Bible. He's a man who who finds himself drawn into this relationship with God. He literally, as uh, Sim was reminding us, travels with God. He begins this amazing journey uh, in response to God's revelation, God's word to him. He leaves the place he's at and he goes off in towards the land of Canaan. Why? Because God has made these promises to him. God has said to him, Abraham, I've got something for you. I want you to be part of my purposes. And Abraham says yes and, and goes off. And on the way, as we've been seeing, he learns what it means to be on a journey with God. Actually, that that can be quite a challenge. He has this challenge to live with a, a different set of values, different set of priorities, still the way things used to be and the way things are in all the people around him. He blows it. Big time, several times in fact. He wanders off into Egypt. He's been told to go to Canaan, and almost as soon as he gets started, he heads off in a different direction down to Egypt because of a famine. And we saw he gets himself into a bit of a scrape there. He gets back on track. He learns to make decisions God's way. Remember, he's traveling with Lot, his relative. And they have like two clans, two communities who end up needing to split. Abraham makes a wise decision. He, he, he decides where to go God's way. Lot chooses the wrong way. But Abraham blesses Lot. Abraham blesses him. He rescues him. He gets involved in a limited way. And God uh, blesses him as he remain, retains his loyalty to God, yet at the same time is blessing others. And all the time the years are going by and God has uh, promised Abraham something and there's a great big elephant, as it were, in the room, as we heard last week. There's a problem. God promised Abraham, in fact that was his name, the father, that he'd be the father of, 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 exalted father rather, that's what he's called, exalted father, that's his name. But he hasn't had any children, as we heard last week. So that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? He's been told that God's great purposes for him include his descendants being amazing. And he hasn't even got a son or a daughter yet. And time's going by and, 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 and there's this problem and we heard about it last week. The crisis boils over for Abraham. I've got no heir, says Abraham to God. How am I going to know that you're going to keep these promises? And God meets Abraham and enters, as we heard uh, last week, into a covenant with him, like a legal agreement. Except everything is all on God's side. God is the one. You remember he walks through these two uh, halves of animal sacrifice. If you missed last week's message and you wonder what on earth I'm talking about, well hit it online and and, and download it because it was a great message and really helpful in understanding how God's commitment to Abraham, how God's commitment to his people is all on God's side. God makes these amazing promises. And we saw that in Genesis 15. And it says something very important in the middle of Genesis 15. It says, "Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. What that means is Abraham takes on board what God says. Abraham becomes a believer. He puts his faith, he puts his life, he responds to God and says, Yeah, Lord, I'm going to believe that. It's for me. And the New Testament says that when we become believers, the same thing happens. We believe God. We believe what he says about Jesus, about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done, about the new life that God offers to us in Jesus, about the forgiveness that we can have and how we can be part of God's great purposes as we connect with Jesus. And, and, and at the point that point, we say, yes, God, I believe that. I want to take that on board into my life. We're in the same place that Abraham was. Abraham was, rather. And we read about that in the book of Romans. And before we look at Genesis, if you were there, uh, ha-ha, got caught you out. It's Romans chapter 4. If you'd like to just turn briefly, it's on page 1131. Might come up on the screen, I don't know. Uh, But if it's uh, 1131 in the church Bible, this is what um, the New Testament says about what Abraham did. It's in, uh, sorry, 1132, verse uh, 22. You see, Paul says, This is why. It was credited to him as righteousness. He's quoting what Abraham did. He believed God. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, says Paul, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification." As we believe God and as we believe what God has done in Jesus, we're in the same place that Abraham was in that sense. Now we know much more than Abraham did. But the spiritual dynamic, what goes on in our hearts and lives is the same. It's called faith. That's what the Bible calls it, faith. That commitment to God, that understanding about God that he will keep his promises and my putting my life into his hands as it were. Now, Abraham's story doesn't end at that point, does it? All these promises have been made. What's it going to be like? How will Abraham live a life with these promises God has made? What's the journey going to be like on from that point? It's the same for us. We start that Christian journey. We commit our, our lives or we, we receive God's gift of salvation. We show, we, we, we're given that faith, as it were. We exercise that faith in God. That's just the beginning. There's a whole life to live after that. There's a lot of living to do. And how are we going to do it? How do we live in faith? How do we live trusting God that he will keep the promises that he's made? That's why we're looking into Abraham's life. Because we can learn a lot about what it means for us to live trusting God just as Abraham had to do. We can learn a lot through Uh, the story of Abraham so today we're looking at what happened next after that commitment that God had made to Abraham how does he respond to it today we're thinking about okay what's it like to live by faith then what is all that about and we see in the next bit of the story two ways of responding to God two ways of responding to God and his promises as believers actually Abraham's a believer, and and we'll read it in Genesis chapter 16. Let's read the first bit. Genesis chapter 16, that's on page 16 of the Bibles in the seats, if you've got one near to you. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant, that's a slave girl, Named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant, the slave girl, perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai his wife took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do, uh, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. One kind of response. I'm calling this hybrid faith. Hybrid faith. Anyone? Anyone got a hybrid car? No one in the church got a hybrid car, or is prepared to admit it. <laughs> Sorry for you petrol heads. That's uh, you know what a hybrid car is, don't you? A car that is a mixture of petrol or diesel and electricity. It's not one thing or the other. It runs on electricity, but when the electricity is a bit low, then the the engine takes over and charges up the batteries. Well, this is kind of about hybrid faith. Here is Abraham and Sarai, his wife, responding in that way. What are they doing? Well, God's made these promises. It's taken a bit of time, so we'll help God out a bit. It's kind of faith, but, well, we're going to kind of speed it along. They've seen God's work in their lives. Uh, Abraham's had these promises these reassurances, but he's in his 80s, Sarai's not had a child, and she comes up with this idea. And it's perfectly understandable. It was the culture at the time, it wasn't an unusual thing, it wasn't a particularly devious kind of surrogate type of business, it was something that was quite common, that's what the peoples around would do. And Sarai thinks, well, I suppose that's what we would have done back in Ur, um, and it's understandable. We saw how Abraham, Abraham rather, responded to the crisis of childness last week. He goes to God and he gets that reassurance. But, but Sarai, here's Sarai responding now to the same problem. Interesting that she says, maybe I can build a family through this slave girl I'm going uh, to give my husband to sleep with, like a surrogate mother. You see, it's not that Sarai thought that she wasn't going to be the one necessarily. She's not saying, I'm too old to have children now. She's saying, actually, God's not done it the way I thought he would, so I think we should help him out and do something ourselves. That's what she's saying, isn't it? That's exactly it. Go about it another way. And Abraham just gives in. Don't know why. Why does he just give him? Well, we don't really know. He does seem very passive. It says that they've been 10 years in Canaan. Maybe time had just gone on and it'd been too long to wait. It's interesting that in this dialogue, often in Old Testament um, stories, what people say to each other, the actual dialogue, the words that are recorded in the story, are really important and give you all kinds of little clues. And this little bit of dialogue is quite important. When, when Sarai, when Sarah, the only thing that either of them say about the Lord in this context is when Sarai says, the Lord, judge between you and me. It's almost like God's become part of, there's obviously a conflict been going on. I suspect the conversation had been going on for quite some time, don't you? And the only way God is in it is there's a way of kind of getting Sarai to get at Abram. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It makes sense in one sense. It's all spiritual language. But it's not right, is it? And it all goes tragically pear-shaped, as we read. The relationships are wrecked. Hagar ends up hating Sarai, her, her mistress, her, her, you know, her owner, as it were. Sarai blames Abraham. He withdraws, kind of familiar masculine thing, I think. Oh, well, you know, I'll get out of here. You know, that's the end of it. It's a wreck. It's a terrible, terrible mess. Now, can we respond to life with God's promises like that sometimes? Does sometimes are we sometimes tempted to exercise that kind of hybrid faith? You know, we stop trusting God <laughs> Well, we don't actually completely stop trusting him, but we we find all kinds of loopholes, ways that we could just actually live like everyone else, take care of it for ourselves. Interesting, that phrase, perhaps I can build a family. You know, Sarai doesn't even say, maybe God will use this to bring, perhaps I can do it. Maybe. And sometimes, do we have that kind of hybrid faith? Yeah, we still say we trust in God, but actually... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll build my, you know, I'll do it, really. I'll find ways of kind of helping God along. Yeah, God's promised that he'll do this or he'll provide, that his salvation is enough, that trusting in Jesus is enough, that, that he will be with me and my family or, or whatever it is, that he will answer his, uh, the prayers in, in the way that is best, that he's at work for good, all those things. But, but it's always, hey, it's 10 years now. Maybe it's time I help God out a bit with this. As we hit hard times, when we, at times when doing it God's way just seems too hard for us. Waiting for his promises to be worked out is just going to take too long, we think. We need to be careful, don't we? We need to ask ourselves, how seriously am I going to take God's promises? Can I trust him? Or can't I? Will we pray? Will we ask God? Or will we just come up with our own alternatives? Where is our trust ultimately? And as it, is, it is a sad and a pear-shaped story, uh, but I want just to show you how it ends, how it goes on. I'm not going to say much about this because I want to talk about chapter 17. But look what happens. We left, where did we leave it? Hagar running away from Sarai who was giving her such a hard time. What does God think about this? How does God treat the mess that we get ourselves into? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Actually, that is um, a compliment in the culture. You know, you say you're a wild donkey, you think, oh, that's a bit of a... It, it's not, it's a compliment. It's about strength and, and freedom and, you know, not, not being tameable kind of thing. Uh, his hand will be against everyone. That might not be such a compliment. And everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy, it is still there between Kadesh and Berid. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son as she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now we'll come back to Hagar later in a couple of weeks' time and, and learn more about Hagar and Ishmael and so on. But just to note, verses 7 to 15 is actually, they're verses that are full of hope. And I, I feel really sorry for Hagar. She, she was kind of caught up in the middle of all this. And for Abraham and Sarai, their mistakes weren't the end of it. God meets Hagar. God rescues her. She goes back God enables her and them to face the consequences of their hybrid faith. There is often consequences when we go our own way, when we go against what God wants. And the answer is not just to bury them or to run away, but to know God's help in in working his grace as as we work with the mess that is often left in our lives. And life goes on in this family for another 13 years. Maybe Abram and Sarai, uh, Hagar obviously tells them what she's experienced. She's welcomed back in. Abram seems happy uh, and, and even Sarai seems happy for the child to be there. Maybe they think, well, God's, that's God's met his promise in that way. We don't really know. Maybe they think that's all there is to it. They're about to find out that it isn't, that God has some other things in store for them, more than they could ask or imagine, as the New Testament might put it. Let's read on, see what happens next in the story. Genesis chapter 17, page 16. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down in response. Here's a second kind of response. This is what I'm calling wholehearted faith. This isn't hybrid faith, this is another kind of response to God. 13 years have gone by and the Lord again appears to Abraham. It's a big moment. There's a big message. Why was it 13 years? 13 years since Ishmael had been born. You know, I, I, that, I can't quite wrap my head around that. It could be just that Abraham's out of touch with God. It could be just the way life is. You know, we read the Bible stories and and we read the stories of Abraham and Jacob and these other dudes in Scripture and and they seem to be having these amazing encounters with God all the time. But you look at Abraham's life, there, there were these three or four big encounters with God over years. So maybe it was that. We don't know for sure. It's in the mystery of God's timing. But certainly it is now, at 99 13 years later, entirely ridiculous, completely stupid, totally impossible for even Abraham to produce a son, I suspect, let alone Sarai. That's uh, the mystery of God's timing. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> I'll let you think about that. There's a lot of waiting in the story of Abraham. And you know, I don't know whether you found this. Sorry if you're young, you're not going to like this, but there can be quite a lot of waiting in the journey of faith with God. You know, His timing is kind of not quite like ours. And maybe it's to do with our culture. There was a, a Japanese. Uh, Japanese uh, I can't I've not read the book so I shouldn't recommend it and I won't recommend it but the title is great the title is called uh, the three mile an hour god or the two and a half a mile an hour god it's written by a a, a priest who was in uh, Bangladesh and he noticed that everything in the culture goes on at two miles an hour you know walking about the speed of an ox cart kind of thing and he wrote this book, observing that you know God, in His purpose, he's, he's often working at the two mile an hour kind of speed, rather than what we have customarily come to expect in our culture. There can be a lot of way we wait. For many things, ultimately, of course, as believers, we wait our full salvation. We wait, await the day, as Romans eight says, when when we'll be revealed. Well, everything will be changed. Well, the whole of the universe will be put right. Well, they'll, you know, we'll, we'll be completely healed of absolutely everything. We wait that day when we see Jesus. It's uh, and Romans eight says we groan. The creation groans. So there's a sense in which we're we're waiting for full salvation. But sometimes there are other things we, in God's wisdom we have to wait for. We sometimes wait for prayers to be answered. We sometimes wait to see how these promises that, that, that God has made to us can possibly be worked out. How long is the cry of our hearts? We sang the song on... No, he didn't. No, was doing a different one. But uh, there's a on Wednesday, we were thinking about God moving in power. How long, we cried, God. The Bible has got prayers in it like that. How long, God, till you do this or do that? As we face choices, are we going to trust God or not? And God appears to Abraham and invites Abraham, but not just Abraham, his entire Household, his entire clan to respond to God in obedience, in loyalty, in trust, in wholehearted faith. And the first three verses we read uh, a bit like if you read an academic paper sometimes, you know, there's an abstract at the top, you know, it summarizes what the whole thing's about, and then you read all the rest of it. It's a long time since I read one, but I understand that's still the case. Perhaps I should read them more often. Um, Well, the first three verses are like the abstract. It's like what describes the rest. And look at it in a bit of detail. It starts with God and his identity. Who God is. God says, I am God Almighty. The first appearance of that name, it has the idea of stability. When the Old Testament talks about God the rock, that's the word in the Hebrew that's behind it. God, stable, strong, uh, utterly trustworthy. I am God Almighty. It's a name that appears in Genesis, particularly in the story of Jacob, particularly at times when everything looks utterly and completely hopeless. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a film, I think it's one of the Lord of the Rings. I meant, to, I meant to ring you up last night, James, and ask you where it was. But you know, when, when two characters say, I, I trust the situation is hopeless, you know, the odds are against us. Do you, do you remember that? Have anyone seen that film? Yeah. Okay, give me, yeah, anyway, it's in that thing. It's like that. The situation's hopeless. We're, we're, we're finished. There's no, no way forward. At that point, God's name almighty kind of kicks in, as it were, in Genesis, in the story of Jacob and in other places too. God's identity, that's where it starts. Faith is built on knowing who God is, knowing what he can do. Knowing what he has promised. It starts there. But then, then God spells out his purpose for people of faith. What is it? Walk before me, says God. Be in relationship with me. See that? I am God Almighty there, verse 1. Walk before me. Make me part of your life, says God. Take me with you. Don't just do what I say. I want to come with you as you do it. That's what God is saying to Abraham. Walk before me in the whole of your life. Make me part of your life. He says, be blameless. That word there has the idea of being whole. When James talks about it in the New Testament, it has the idea of being wholehearted. That's why I'm calling this wholehearted faith. Give your whole life to me, says God. Don't be content with some kind of hybrid faith where you're trying to help me out all the time. Just trust in me, says God to Abraham. As you walk before me totally in the totality of your life. This is the way to respond to me, says the Lord. And then he tells Abraham all about the covenant that God made with Abraham 13 years before. The covenant we were hearing about last week when God says, you know, may I be cut in half if, if, if I'm not faithful to this covenant. 13 years and God's back saying, remember that covenant, Abraham." Well, I'm going to keep to it. I'm going to do what I say. And let's see what it says, verse 3. What does God say? The Lord reiterates his promise to Abraham. As for me, verse 4, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you and as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. God reiterates his promise to Abraham tells him that this, this covenant starts off, you'll see these phrases, as for, as for, as for. The first one is, as for me, says God. This is my part. It's God's part. God is the initiator. God does it all. And this is what I'm going to do, says God. And he promises. He says, I'm going to change your name, Abraham. No longer you're going to be called exalted father, but father of nations. It's going to come true, Abraham. I'm going to do it, says God. One son's not enough. <laughs> it's a lot more going to happen, says God to Abraham. It's a, it's, this isn't a two-way deal. This is a one-way deal. This is God saying, I'm going to do this for you, Abraham. Abraham, all you have to do is respond. That's the point. Because it goes on then, verse 9, As for you, then God said to Abraham, As for you, You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you uh, who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with your money from a foreigner those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to me an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my promise, broken my covenant. So, as for you, says God, this is what you do. You respond. There's this sign of this covenant, there's a sign that you're to have in your bodies if you're blokes, if you're boys. That is a sign in your community in the future that you belong to me, says God. And that's the sign that they were to be different, all of them. No matter what age they were, no matter where they came from. Now what about today? Is that still true? Well, we read the New Testament and we know we belong to God as his people. We've come to know him through faith in Jesus. We're not to be circumcised, but we do have to be different. Not in our physical bodies, but our old way of living, our old sinful nature, has to be put away. And uh, we read about that in the New Testament. I'll just read you a verse um, in, in Colossians chapter 2. If you want to turn, you can, but I will just listen to it because we're running, we're nearly through the time. Colossians 2.10. You have been given fullness in Christ, says Paul, who is the head over every power and authority in him you were also circumcised. Oh, Paul's talking to believers. He says, You've been circumcised. Then he says, In the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, not to do with uh, foreskins and so on, but to do with something spiritual. Your old nature has, has been dealt with. You're to be different. Why? Because of Jesus because of the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. We're to be different. Our sinful nature is over in that sense. We're not to live that way anymore. We're to be holy and different from the community that we're part of, the the wider world, just as Israel was uh, as it got going in the future after Abraham. And then it goes on. Back in Genesis, God says, as for Sarah, she's given a new name. And and God says, Sarah is going to have a son. And then he says, as for Ishmael, he's got a place in it too. He's not going to be the one through whom the covenant comes, but Ishmael is still going to be blessed. You can read that through the passage. When Abraham hears that God is going to give Sarah a son, he just... He, he is overwhelmed. It says, well, let, let's read it. Let's see what he says. You know, some of you know this story. As for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. That, again, is a, a posture of worship he laughed. He was just overwhelmed with joy. He can't quite believe it. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then Abraham almost seems to have to check it out. If only Ishmael could live under your blessing. You know, you don't mean Ishmael, do you, God, says Abraham. Is that what you mean? And God says, Yes, Ishmael will live under my blessing. I'm not rejecting Ishmael. I'm not going to kind of cut him off. I still love him. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you're going to call him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him, it says, as an everlasting covenant. Amazing. Amazing. In God's time, He comes to Abraham, he says, right now, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Actually, later on, he says, it's going to be in about a year's time. Your old wife and you, 99-year-old man, are going to become the proud parents of laughing boy, (laughs) Isaac. (laughs) Laughter. What does Abraham do? Verse 23... On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, all those born in his household, etc., and circumcised them as God told them. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. They were circumcised on the same day. Every man in Abraham's household and so on. Abraham does exactly what God says right away. You know, he—I don't believe, as we shall see in a minute—that Abraham has ever stopped believing. He'd not stopped hoping. Maybe he'd gone off the off the rails a bit. I would. He obviously had through those thirteen years. We don't know for sure. But now he's right with God, and he's going to get on with what God says right away. Maybe that's something for us. This is wholehearted faith. This is responding to God's promises. This isn't trying to buy God's favour. This isn't saying, that's your pit of agreement, God, now I'll keep my bit. No, this is, oh God, you're so great. You've done such amazing things. I will respond in loyalty as you've asked me to, in love, in, in, in devotion, in obedience. Walking with you, I will walk with you, says Abraham. I will be different. My community will be distinctive. They will, we will be marked out from the people around us. Now, is that how we live our Christian lives? With that kind of wholehearted obedience to God? I challenge myself with that. Especially when we face issues of timing. Whew of disappointments, of confusion about what might be going on. Are we going to trust God and his promises then, even when it's impossible to see how it can possibly be worked out? You know, how can I ever get to heaven? How am I? You know, Some people I know don't become Christians because they think, I'm not good enough, I'm just not going to be able to make it. You don't know me, I'll never get to heaven, I'm not going to get there. I don't even think it's worth turning to God and asking him. Even at that basic level. God will keep his promises. He's done enough. He's done it all. Do we believe that the Lord Almighty invites us to walk before him with the whole of our lives? Totally. Will we live trusting, hoping, believing, especially when we've no idea how or when we'll see those promises finally fulfilled? Let's get rid of hybrid faith. Hybrid cars are fine, I'm sure. Don't get rid of them. (laughs) But hybrid faith is not what God wants from us. He wants us to be wholehearted as we journey on with the Lord. This Lord who is absolutely committed to complete what he started, who's done everything we need for our salvation, our holiness, our wholeness, as we walk with him. Back in Romans chapter 4, Look at the way the New Testament talks about Abraham in this incident. It's at the other end of that passage. Verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, that's the story we've just read, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. See, Abraham doesn't avoid reality. Paul says he faced the fact it was hopeless. But he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what God had promised. God has promised things. He's promised to provide for us, to keep us, to be faithful to us in pressure, to give us his grace, to come into our lives, to transform us through Jesus. And We can respond to all of that as we live lives of wholehearted faith for his glory. Let's respond to him. Thank you.